When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, welcome to the Snooker Scene Podcast. I'm Dave Hendon. I think this is our first ever outside broadcast because I'm in Blackpool with Alan McManus and we're stood outside the Norbrecht Castle Hotel. Now, those very words will send a shiver down the spine of many a snooker player, Alan included, because for many years this was... Well, it held a few tournaments, but it was best known for being a qualifying venue. This was where the class of 92 came, Ronnie and John and Mark played all that summer in 92 and many years afterwards as well it was a, a, a theatre of dreams and a place of nightmares it was a graveyard all that stuff Alan you know it very well and we stood outside we've decided to come and have a look at it how, how, what are your thoughts as, as we stand here well we're going to find out soon whether this was a good idea <laughs> or a brilliant idea it's going to be one of the two but yeah 30, 31 years ago since I turned pro here so we're along the road in uh, Bolton so we thought we'll come along and uh, it's not changed all that much first impressions we're obviously standing in the car park here yeah. what I did notice the in and out signs that some of the guys from back in the day will remember are still the same so not much has changed I think the Mariners pub that Eddie Sinclair used to frequent on occasion that's maybe gone but we'll get round to that in a minute but yeah, yeah we'll just come along and have a look at the old girl and she's had a lick of paint surprisingly yeah. Yeah. but you know so when, when were you first here? You played the pro ticket, was it? Yeah, it would have been the spring of 90. I came here, pro ticket playoffs, 32 guys played down to eight. You're talking about Ken Doherty was one of them, uh, Jason Ferguson, uh, Jason Prince, who we'll maybe get on to later, a few of the other guys, uh, Nick Dyson, I think, might have been one, a couple of Canadians. But yeah, it's um, as everyone who's been here can probably guess, it's pretty windy. Yeah. We're out the front here. We're right on the seafront. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, so we're, we're going to have a wander in, aren't we, and, and see what's going on. We'll go in and uh, we'll report back very soon. Okay, so Alan, just explain where, where we are. Yeah, well, we're in, we're actually standing where the practice room was back in the day. Just to my left, and some of the guys, certainly players, will remember there was a stage. If you can think of like the, the school, the gym hall at school, there was a stage which is still there. Curtains are drawn over, a few Christmas deckies up, and the bar at the far end is still the same, pretty much the same from what I remember. I mean, it's been 20 odd years, it's got to be. And the sort of conservatory, long conservatory part is still there. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. We can see the doors that went through to the actual playing arena, the big kind of hall. So mm. we'll maybe have a, a peek yeah. in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and is this bringing back memories? I mean, you, I think as, as we walked in, you said it hadn't really changed that much. Yeah, it, it, it has. What I don't remember, we're standing, it's actually a dance floor. But maybe back in the day, that was obviously carpeted over. So that's different. Mm. As I say, we're standing where there was... I think six or eight practice tables mm. and I remember that the entrance there we used to walk through what we call the annex the rooms um, so you basically you could um, get out your bed come through in your PJs if you want your slippers mm. and do your practice before the matches but yeah it's kind of weird being in here it's been a long time you know 30, 31 years as I said earlier yeah um, turning pro so we're going to have a little scout around and yeah well let's uh, what's going on let's have a look 
Now we're battling the music because there's some sort of dance event on. There's loads of kids outside, weren't there? There's obviously some uh, kids dance event on at the weekend, but uh, we're in the ballroom, Alan, where all, all the real action happened. Yeah, we're made to, we've, we've fought through the crowds and uh, we're, we're in here. It's actually pretty cool. I, I, what I don't sort of remember or what, what isn't here now, there was a, I think there was a balcony that was, I guess, yeah. on about floor 1.5 or the second floor kind of thing. It doesn't seem to be here anymore, so that's changed. But the size of it I can sort of recognise because yeah. it's a sort of oblong shape as most of the guys will remember. And it was the, the, when I first played here, there was, I think there was 16 tables and there was four, four, four and four. And uh, it was a really good setup, obviously. It's, and it's a big old room. Yeah, massive. Yeah, I mean, I remember the balcony because I, when I came as a, a very young uh, journalist to, to cover the snooker, I went to, to watch it on there and then eventually I was told it wasn't safe but people didn't seem to mind that here it's not the sort of place where I think health and safety is a big issue yeah and that, of course this would be the I'm guessing would be the room that Steve James and Mountjoy won their, mm. the, the, the mercantile back in the day that's right yeah I mean we, we, we think of it let's get, just get out of here because yeah. the music we think of it as obviously qualifying venue which uh, thank you which it was but um, yeah, I mean, it was a tournament venue as well. Well, I should say, where we are, we're in a little sort of anti-room. There's a snooker queue here. Yeah. Now, wh uh, why? I, I, I think it's maybe Ken Orr's or Tony Kearney <laughs> from back in the day. Someone like that has left their queue. Weird, that is but, uh, random, but... Well, it's sort of in, in absence of, like, a plaque to say there was ever snooker here. There's just a random queue. You feel like there should be a half pint and, like, a, a half cigarette as well. Definitely. Oh. Yeah. yeah. But... We're actually standing in the little holding, what I would call the holding room, when Len Ganley, usually Len it was, who had given the, um, what was it he said, um, thank you gentlemen, <laughs> but it was something like that to take you in to play the matches, and, and all the players will remember that well, it's a little room, probably, you could actually fit one table in here, and it's about that size, um, and you could happily play in here, um, it's just through the doors from the, the practice room. So sort of yeah. nervous players stood waiting. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Well, there were obviously sixteen tables generally, so you would have uh, you know twenty, thirty guys waiting to play. Actually, I remember one time one of the players who was it, um, Robbie Grace from right. South Africa, the guy who he used to stand in this room and hold he'd two cues that were pretty much identical, and he would hold the both of them and say which one today and yeah, he'd pick one and out, out he would go and play and maybe this so is that, one of his here uh, <laughs> you, you might have there's also a, a mop there yeah. which maybe they've been better using the mop all <laughs> there uh, yeah brilliant Okay, so we're, we're now in a sort of public area, which is, a, I think, a new area, and um, there's some Christmas music and whatever going on in the background, is public here, as, as they're entitled to be in a public area. But uh, let's talk more generally about this place. And you, you maybe didn't spend that much time playing here compared to some of the other guys, because you pretty quickly actually got in the top 16, so you were able to escape it. But those early years, what people maybe don't realise is that, you know, you might be playing in the UK Championship but it wasn't the UK Championship as people know it it was just a set of matches in this venue that was the name of the tournament that day and you were trying to wade through round after round to get to the Guildhall that's right and, and actually the, the UK Championship to take as an example I was my third match as a pro funny a, a guy I mentioned earlier I played Eddie Sinclair in the first round I remember and then I played a guy called Craig Edwards to get through to Preston just to, what 15 miles down the road but yeah it was um you played a bunch of qualies, um, generally two matches in each each event. The first, my first match here ever was the Rothmans. I played a guy called Tommy Murphy from um, from Ireland and um, uh, Northern Ireland. He was, I, th I think. Yeah. And uh, yeah. well, he played yeah. in the he played with 
that infamous Dennis and Alex yeah, yeah. spat he was the third man in that that's right the yeah lo- lucky him <laughs> so yeah and, and um, we're sitting in a part sort of just along from reception that wasn't really here it's a, it's a kind of big conservatory sort of thing um, there's been a few changes but the good thing is and we'll put some photographs obviously in social media and stuff the actual side where the, you know, the practice room um, there was a little conservatory that people remember it's not changed and, and you know the smells are the same as well um, you know you, you, it's, it's kind of nice coming back you know because all the guys around my age you know mid mid 40s guys into the 40s and guys that are older in their 50s and probably even 60s they'll all remember this it was a sort of coming of age or, or you know um, rite of passage kind of thing where they, they, this was just where you played this is where you came to start your kind of career obviously the, the, the guys from 92 they were all the exact same they came here and played umpteen matches didn't they so you know nice to come back um, whether we'll get any tournaments in this place ever again who knows but it's nice to be here eh? I don't know whether, I don't know what there's much of a campaign from the players to come <laughs> back here because it's, it's got mixed memories I guess for people I mean I guess like when the game went open for a lot of young guys in particular who'd come through watching Stuke in the 80s and were many of them were very talented but suddenly I'm saying this to you on the way here it's a bit like at that age a lot of people go to university and they're away from home for the first time and you know a lot of people go a little bit mad and, and mm. they, they experiment and, and all the rest of it and I guess a lot of the players did that and I guess that maybe is why some of them actually didn't make it because mm. they were too busy on the, on the aisle it, well exactly and I think when you think about the summer of 91 when they, they through the doors of the game open you could pay I think it was about £600 or £1,000 to effectively play as a throw the other thing is you, you came here with three or 400 maybe 500 other guys so it was a bit of a cattle market and you, maybe it was easy to slip into that net where or slip through the net from sort of being dedicated and you, you know the, it was quite a vibrant place back then some guys would lose and maybe go for a couple of beers and then you know you were with a lot of your mates and you were all in the same kind of boat and then um, that, that would happen I was lucky that when I, I played here it was the year before they threw the game yeah. open so I kind of got into the actual pro side of it and, and quickly got a little established before any of that malarkey was going on you know um, but I, I can understand that, that some of the guys who were real good players there was a lot of good players here and I can understand them getting involved and maybe having a couple of pints too many the odd occasion and, and not performing as good as they perhaps might have done first time I came here actually it was to, I, I was the first time I met Phil Yates I came here essentially doing work experience so I, before I even went to university so I would have been well, 18 and what was interesting was and maybe you wouldn't have known then who the stars of the future would be but there'd be people playing here young guys then who maybe Paul Hunter or Matthew Stevens mm-hmm. who went on to become top players mm-hmm. obviously there were players who you did recognise who were on their way down <coughs> who found themselves in the mire Alex Higgins Eddie Charlton those sort of guys mm-hmm. and then there were the people in the middle who maybe were never going to make it but loved playing and loved being part of it had dreams of, of making it but it was a I think that's what people maybe don't get now because the tour's 1-8 to eight. Mm-hmm. there were hundreds of players there hundreds hundreds and, and it's a good point you touch on the older guys who were older than, than me at the time I'm talking about I, I'll give you one example I remember coming here playing in the Pro Ticket Series which was just right before the Rothmans the, the, the first tournament of the season 
and the old practice sheet was on the wall now I'd never met any of these guys and I'm going to the practice sheet and I'm going to put up my name and Kirk Stevens' name was on it and oh, that, yeah. he was a big star yeah. you know throughout the obviously early to mid 80s he was a huge star and I'd never even met him seen him and like you know you're, you're throwing him off a practice table so all <laughs> of a sudden things get a little more serious John Spencer was still playing when I turned guys like Bill Werbenick just the, the annex the, the rooms in the annex just along the corridor there um, I remember and I'll tell the story God rest him I, I came out I used to share a room with Duncan Campbell um, another Scottish guy and I remember coming to practice one morning and Bill was going back to his room with a tray of beer <laughs> and that's just true you know the, 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 there was a bar there look it was a free bar for all and sundry which uh, probably players wasn't and it. guests yeah, players, players, players and guests and that, limited guests yeah and, and actually you know you could probably sign three, four, five maybe even half a dozen guys in mm. and so you, that'll give you an idea of what was going on you're talking from nine in the morning till, yeah. till late o'clock at night so it was just different times and, and obviously I didn't ever get involved in any of that I was too busy trying to trying to win snooker matches but it was a good time um, and, and also the qualities back then the top 16 did come here I think for Dubai Dubai was one of them where they only took I think they only took 16 guys out there so the top 16 had one match to play to get to Dubai so they came here and I remember it you know um, in that holding room standing there and Davis was there and Jimmy was there and all the and I'd never again seen any of these guys so it was brilliant brilliant times and, and going out and playing and there was good crowds as well yeah. they, they, obviously there's a big snooker faithful now it was the same back in the day and maybe even more so in some ways um, it, it, there was tiered seating at the qualifying then all purpose built and whatever and a lot of matches were the big crowds I don't think I ever played Alex Higgins here I might have done once I, I can't quite remember but I remember him being here and playing mm. and there was crowds queues to get in all that sort of stuff mm. yeah one match that happened here was 16 year old Ronnie O'Sullivan against I think 77 year old Fred Davis who won mm. a frame against Ronnie because Ronnie's first season he won 74 out of 76 matches only lost two we should mention who beat mm. him Dave Fimbo and Sean Story mm -hmm. you know, to their credit yeah. and uh, there were stories about how he used to like between matches go running along the beach and all that sort of thing incredible yeah. times for those guys starting out it must have been like it's all sort of innocent then isn't it it's all just before you you don't know the sort of the realities of it all and what's going to happen and obviously great things have happened for them but I guess back then they were just doing what they loved which was playing snooker that's all they loved doing it was um, obviously I knew John quite a bit I, I knew Ronnie vaguely um, from from the, the the Hemsby days, the home international days, but um, like John coming down here, it, he, although I at the time thought John's going to do great things, he still got to battle his way through ten qualifying matches, probably in every tournament. So it wasn't easy, and there was a lot of good players around. Um, just but, but it was good times and, and different times, I guess. The guys like the obvious ones we we talked about, you know, the, the ninety two guys. There was also Stephen Lee's and. Yeah. As you say, a bit later on, Paul Hunter, Matthew Stevens, all those guys came through this very room, or this, this very building. Mm. And it, it definitely played a big part in a lot of their life, lives, never mind anything else, because certainly the summer of 90, 91, 92, those boys would have been here for three months, yeah. probably. Yeah. And that's a long old time in yeah. one building, and you know, there's a few temptations here and there, maybe as we said before, going for a beer and things. It was a long old time, and it was in the summer. 
conditions would have been difficult, you know, it would have been hot down here. Um, so, yeah, uh, just uh, nice times, I think, for everyone. Not There probably won't be that many guys like us <laughs> come and visit here <laughs> in the next, you know, number of years. But, look, it's, it, as I say, it played a big part in a lot of their lives. One thing that's maybe never even talked about is um, because there was an explosion of matches, suddenly they needed more referees, and Paul Collier actually started here. He was very young when he started, um, literally sort of a teenager, I think, or certainly early 20s when he started refereeing. Um, but you mentioned the amount of time that they were here. Time for hijinks, and there was a lot of stuff went on. And I mean, there was a story about one of the players' car got set on fire. It's been recorded that Paul Hunter Street, I think the, the other guys put him up to it, and he, yeah. Stephen Engie was telling us the other night that, um, so Paul Street, he got caught, and, and they said, okay, you know, this is unacceptable, what's your name? And he said, my name's Stephen Engie. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but all sorts of things, quite innocent things at times went on. Mm. You mentioned the Mariners pub, which we, we've had a look, it's not there. No, I, I think it's been knocked yeah. down because there's a building, we're not exactly sure of the location, but I think that's gone. That was a watering hole of a few yeah. of the, the older guys I think but we, we parked actually out the back mm. didn't we and there's a little cafe that I remember going in John Higgins was telling us yeah. about that at breakfast yeah. this morning and there was a little cafe used to go in and from memory it was something like full brekkie 55 pence pot of tea everything included the go. best value in the world that it's was that, that, it? that was it yeah, yeah, yeah. and, and we talk about the Mariners of course there's a famous story with um, Alex Higgins final round of qualifying in the World Championship and he's 6-3 down to Tony Knowles it was an old adversary but by that point they're sort of older players I guess on the slide a bit mm. went over to well wet, wet his whistle as it were yeah. and fell over the wall <laughs> blood seeping down his arm cut all his arm sort of didn't bother with stitches or anything like that came yeah. back blood blood soaked shirt in the evening, one ten nine, bleeding on the bays. I mean, that's that's proper stuff, isn't it? Ah, that's pro- <laughs> that's proper snooker. That's that's come that's coming from the what would go on probably in the clubs back in Glasgow the odd time and you know high jinks as you say and and it, it spilled into the the pro game in, in some ways and some of the stories actually now that I'm trying I'm trying to remember and they escaped me. They all sort of sort, yeah. of, sort of fade into one. I think you know, but um, well, I remember there was one where. Um, sure you won't mind me telling it all these years mm. on but of course the officials I mentioned the refs the officials had to spend months here as well and you can imagine the sort of the it's like Groundhog Day it's just another set of matches every day mm. the boredom and, and one <laughs> one day for some reason they decided to shave, shave off Mike Ganley's eyebrow one of his eyebrows okay. only one of them right, okay. so he's going yeah. around for the next couple of weeks mm. just with one eyebrow mm. just to alleviate whatever sort of boredom madness was setting in basically Aye, like, well they should have shaved the other one off if they'd been like Robocop or something <laughs> it? that's what they should have done um, but yeah, that, that was that was probably par for the course. Mm. I think actually talking about the players, a lot of them who w- would be unknown to the wider public. But it was, for example, one of the play matches drift off to the pub, and they would maybe end up staying in each other's rooms yeah. in different parts of the hotel. Oh, I can't be my, my room's too far away. I'll just go to yours, and it was just that was the kind of thing that went on. Um, there was a casino along the road so you could have a late night thing tell you another story that is this, this sums up the time in Blackpool a pal of mine Martin Jeveltowski real good player got to the quarters of the UK one year him and a few boys went to a nightclub in centre of um, in Blackpool and uh, Keith Harris who famously Keith Harris Norville obviously he lived here so they're in this nightclub and it's it's empty there's no one in so all of a sudden there's a guy on the dance floor dancing around on the dance floor himself 
and it was Keith Harris. <laughs> so I don't know why that. I don't. <laughs> I don't know where that happened. You know, but younger listeners will be going to Google now. I, don't, yeah. I would say don't bother. To be honest, it was, yeah. a, it was an act of its time. An act of its time. Here's a question. So back then, you had, like you say, you had to wade through many as maybe ten matches in a tournament to get to the venue. Now everyone is thrown in in round one. Is there an argument that actually this system, even though it sounded tougher because there's more matches, was better, it was more of an apprenticeship maybe, you're not playing top players every round, you're, you're, you're learning your way through, whereas now, you know, a new pro can play Selby, can play Robertson round one, and you know, they're not really going to have any chance. I thought so, I must confess, I've always thought that, but I was a product of that system yeah. where... You, you sort of earn your spurs as a player you certainly did that as an amateur because it was very competitive but I think you're right I think the first year or two as a pro play against the lower ranked ones learn some of your trade from them and then by the time you run into some of the big guns you're a wee bit more you're a wee bit better equipped to deal with it there's no no doubt I mean we see even in home nations events these days don't we best of sevens best of fives even British Opens the top players 95% 90% of the matches they will win um, and and the, the, the younger ones haven't learned how to mix it I think but we certainly did I remember going to my first venue um, which was the Rothmans and I played played Willie Thorne down in, in Reading and actually when I got on the table I'd never really played against any of these guys but I got on the table and I felt good I felt comfortable I felt like alright I'm ok I can maybe handle a bit of this and before you know it you maybe start beating one or two of them and then straight away you're pretty comfortable instead of going first up in the draw Neil Robertson yeah. beat 4-1 4-0 you've got to wait a while <coughs> excuse me and then yeah <coughs> and, and is the is the sort of an argument though that what, what, what sort of counted against that system was that they were block qualified so you would have like three months with maybe eight events and say you were just ill you're going into it you know that could ruin your season pretty much yeah I mean I can't remember the timeline I think I think my my first set of matches I think it was three tournaments I think the Rothmans UK and maybe Dubai where the, the top 16 guys came in um, so it was kind of maybe in three or four sections the season would be and what you would know better than me David from memory the World Championship qualifying. When was that back then? Well, it, it varied, but I mean, the, the year that the <coughs> year that Ronnie qualified for the first time, '93, the, the qualifying was held in September '92. Yeah. So he was actually 16. It was held, held far closer <coughs> to the previous principle than the next one. And of course, what happened was lots of guys hit a bit of form in September. We had all sorts of Spencer Duns and most of the guys yeah, and Surrender um, Gills and, and yeah and, and John Giles and those sort of people qualified. Yeah. By the time the Crucible came round, they had no form at all and they just got got blitzed really. That's right. I I remember all those guys as well. Um, Sean Mellish yeah. and other ones. Yeah. There There's a few names that that you you wonder actually what maybe some of them will get a yeah. chance to listen to this and they'll maybe jog a few memories hopefully. But yeah, that 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 was an element of it where. That's the good thing about the present day, isn't it? You know, each tournament is its own kind of separate entity and uh, guys can rock up and play. But, as I said, there's that thing where generally you'll get tough draws and you, and you won't get to learn on the on the hoof, as it were, um, while, while you're playing. Uh, so, I don't know, there's a balance to strike there. But it's nice to look back at those times. And um, But guys like Ken, 
you know, as I say, he turned pro with me 31 years ago in here. He was always going to come through pretty much whatever system, and sure enough, he did. <coughs> um, so I've got a. Yeah, yeah, no, oh, carry on. <coughs> and uh, a bunch of other guys. Uh, a very different system. I, I just hope that in the modern day, we don't have guys slip through the net who are really talented but don't quite make the grade and end up having to three or four or five years down the line having to pack their queue away because they're not making any headway no because it seems like you are I mean you know no easy matches and all the rest of it but a lot of the new guys it is look at the draw a little bit isn't it you know you need to avoid the real big hitters round one yeah absolutely there will be cases where you, if, if anyone sat down and looked through the draws of this season so far or last season and you picked out a certain player, he would probably get a bunch of heavy hitters, five or six events in a row. In fact, even some of the top guys do. They get some horrible uh, draws. So it's very, very difficult. Um, don't quite know what the solution is. I think the game's obviously in a far better state now than yeah. it was then, obviously. it was. We were kind of, back then, turn of 89 into 90, we're coming out of the 80s, obviously, and of the boom years and stuff. But we, we had to have these qualifying events somewhere and I don't know, I think there was maybe about 100 players on the tour, maybe roughly, maybe a bit more than that. Um, but generally most of them were, well, I say older, but probably when you think back, there was a lot of them still in their 20s, yeah. which now would seem really young. Yeah, the yeah. guy Terry Whitthreads and yeah. Martin Clarks and David Rose, they were, you know... Um, so it kind of pers- perspective has changed on that age mm. thing, isn't it, down mm. the years? So, just sort of to wrap up, <coughs> coming back here, I don't know, it, I mean, I'm not a player, but does it feel like sort of going back to your old school, where there's sort of mixed memories, happy and maybe weird memories and flashbacks and all sorts of things? Yeah, I've got definitely flash- definite flashbacks. When, when we went in the, the practice arena there, and the, the little stage, and we used to walk through that annex thing into, from the room and into the practice room. Definite memories, because... When, when you're, it's like your formative years as a pro, you're going to remember the, fir- the things that happened first up, and those were the things. I, that room we were in just ten minutes ago, I, I, I pretty much met Alex Higgins in that room for the first time ever. I remember he would come in and go on the practice table and practice like weird things, mm. and I was like just a wide-eyed, wide-eyed kid and thinking, why is he practicing that? <laughs> you know, and it, I tell you another great memory I have of. of Watching, actually watching Alex Higgins here and I got to see him up close and remember I was only 19 um, which again didn't seem that old at the time um, it, it, but now that would seem really young wouldn't mm. it and anyway I remember he, he dressed immaculately he, he had like a gold chain on spats um, some kind of fancy bow tie and shoes were immaculate and the cut of his jib and yeah, his waistcoat yeah. and it was kind of it was cool times I must admit you know yeah. and they were all dapper I remember some of the um, the, the lapels and waistcoats and all that and it was funny old times but it's it, really good to come back I'm glad we did and, and get a chance to sort of walk in a few of the footsteps of, of 30 years ago and remember it because it, it, cool, it was a cool place then and look do you know what still a cool place now well that's the thing like it's like anything good or bad it's part of your life it's part of how you, who you are how you've got here and and it's, it's come full circle maybe this should be the start of a new series we just visit old snooker 
venue, Derby Assembly Rooms, maybe for the yeah. next one. Well, yeah, that's <laughs> not a bad idea. It would be it would be some feat that, considering I think it's been knocked down well, years ago. Well, it won't stop us. It won't stop us. We will find the <laughs> yeah. bricks and mortar that, yeah. uh, that, that stood there once. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, thanks, Alan, and uh, here's to the Norbrick. And uh, well, maybe in 30 years' time, we'll come and see if it's still here. We will do. Cheers to the old girls still here, still going. <laughs> What's better than eight free beers? That's right, ten. The festive season is upon us, and in the spirit of giving and charity, Beer 52 are offering listeners ten free beers. All you have to do is go to www.beer52.com slash snooker and cover £5.95 for postage to claim your free case. What's more, do it before the 17th of December and get two extra beers. Beer 52 is a beer club like no other. They send experts around the globe to find the best beer available anywhere on planet Earth. Each month, their members receive a new case, usually from a different part of the world. Members have had beer from more than 40 countries across five continents. Grab yourself this treat in time for Christmas. You can impress friends, family and dinner guests with a cast of happy IPAs, crisp craft lagers and sumptuous stouts. If dark beer is not your thing, simply choose the light option instead of a mixed case. As well as all the delicious beer, you'll receive Ferment magazine, which delves into the beers, breweries and theme. You'll also get two delicious snacks to wash down with the beer. After redeeming your first case, you'll join the monthly beer club at £24 a month. No minimum commitment, pause or cancel at any time. Remember, go to www.beer52.com slash snooker to claim your free case. Sports Social Podcast Network.